Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. We're going to turn our Bibles today to the book of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we in term three had a whole series from the book of John on the I am's of Jesus as we've been looking at Jesus as the transformer. And so today I thought we'd just share a message from this uh, wonderful chapter, John 17, some of Jesus' final words. In fact, this is Jesus' longest recorded prayer. We know Jesus was a person of prayer. And often when we think of Jesus praying, we think of the Lord's prayer, which he taught his disciples. But this is actually his longest prayer. And uh, he prays for himself to start with because he's about to go to the cross. He prays for his disciples who he knows are going to scatter and be afraid. He prays that they will be kept by God's power. And then he looks beyond the disciples down through the corridors of history and he prays for all who will believe in his name, which includes you and I. He's actually praying for us. And so we pick up this prayer in John 17. Jesus has... uh, mentioned that they will scatter, he'll be left alone, that there'll be some trouble and pressure. And then he begins to say this, John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked up towards heaven. I I sometimes pause there and think, isn't it funny when we pray, we often say, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Jesus lifted his eyes, lifted his head and opened his eyes. So maybe we'll start a new tradition. Let's all lift our heads and open our eyes. pretty cool, isn't it? I don't know where the bow your heads, close your eyes came from. Maybe there's a little research project for someone there. Sorry, it's just me thinking out loud. After Jesus said this, he looked up towards heaven, opened his eyes and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. This is eternal life that you might know, that that they might know you. And that word know is personal, it's relational. That they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So he's praying for himself. We're going to fast forward down to verse 20, where he begins to pray for you and for me, those who would believe throughout history. John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them or my disciples alone. I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. It's a very moving prayer, and I'm really sorry we don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but do you notice that when Jesus starts praying for himself and then his disciples, then he starts looking at the church that is yet to be born, one of the major concerns on his heart is unity. May my followers be one. May they be united in complete unity. It was one of the things on his heart before he went to the cross and completed the work of redemption. And as I read that and say, Jesus, as you are praying for unity, it's sometimes good to stop and say, I wonder how we're doing being the answer to that prayer. 
I wonder how the church is doing. Here we are, 2016 years later. Uh, the center of the study of global Christianity estimated that in the year 2000, there were 34,000 de- 34, denominations. And in 212, that rose to 43,000 denominations. Now, I'm not talking about other religions or other faiths. We're just talking about Christianity. If you look at the Christian church, there are over 43,000, not churches, entire denominations, all saying Jesus is Lord, but how many know they all have a unique approach to some doctrine, some liturgy, some belief, some emphasis. And if we're really honest, they probably all think that they're right and everyone else is a little bit wrong. Come on, come on, be honest with me today. And so we're not really doing, I think, as well as we could. And we know there's lots of Christians, but, you know, we kind of think, you know, maybe we're the kind of real church. And we, we even have jokes. I mean, there's Catholic jokes today. Maybe you've even told a few. There's, there's jokes about the Baptist. You, you probably heard the funny one about Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine. And the Baptist's first miracle was turning the wine into grape juice. You know. <laughs> So, you know, people have jokes about the Baptists and, and then the Salvos and the Anglicans with their theological cemeteries. I mean, seminaries. <laughs> Come on, you've heard that joke. You know, we joke about other groups. And, and let me just, you may be surprised. People actually joke about us Pentecostals. Did you know that? You may be shocked to hear that. The, the, the funniest Pentecostal joke I ever heard was uh, there was this guy who was a Pentecostal. He was marooned on a desert island for five years all by himself. And they eventually rescued him. And when they landed there, he was so excited. And they, and they looked around. There were three buildings. And they go, oh, what's that building? He says, oh, that's my house. And they go, well, well what's that second building? He says, that's the church I go to. And then they say, well, what's the other building? He says, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Come on, come on. Some of you get that on Monday. It's good to laugh at ourselves. And so, you know, we kind of have our jokes about each other. But, you know, I really believe, in fact, back in 1995, God gave me, it was my first year as senior minister, and I felt God gave me seven strategic shifts that the church needed to make. You can read about them in one of my four books, Transforming Your Church. And it was called a worldview shift that requires us to shift our focus just from our local church to have a heart for what God's doing in the kingdom of his son. And you know, the kingdom is God's rule and reign. It's much bigger than any one local church. That's why we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We want the rule of God to be all over this earth. And we also believe in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. The church is a a visible demonstration of the kingdom. It's the instrument of the kingdom, but the kingdom is much bigger than the church. And so we need to have a bit of a shift in our thinking if we're going to see Jesus' prayer become a reality. And so the question I want to ask us today is how can you and I help towards making Jesus' prayer for unity become a reality in our time? That's the question I'm asking. Jesus was praying for unity. What can you and I do to make that a reality in our time? How can we be an answer to that? Let me share a couple of things. First of all, I think we need to be humble, not proud. 
We need to be humble, not proud. Now, now let me qualify this and say, I think you should be proud of your church. In fact, the church you go to should be the best church in the world. I think City Life is a great church. In fact, I think it's the best church in Melbourne. I think it's the best church in Australia. I think it's the best church in the world. You might be a bit slow to clap, but I'm just talking about you. So you should actually like yourself. You know, you should. It's like family. You, you, you may have kids, but let me tell you, my kids are better than your kids. My kids, Josiah, Ashley and Natasha are the best kids in the entire world. I'm not biased. They are. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, your congregation, you should think is the best. Your ministry, we should have a healthy pride in I go to City Life Church. So I'm, I'm not denying that. However, we need to have a humility that acknowledges there's other great churches, other great ministries, other great congregations. And unless we have that humility, pride will actually hinder Jesus' prayer being answered. See, as great as City Life is, we're only a part of the body of Christ. Yeah. We're only a part of God's work in the world. I remember being on a retreat with a couple of pastors uh, just a few months ago. I was down at Phillip Island. And I went for a bit of a prayer walk in the morning and I was, I was down on the, the rock area and there was this rock pool. And it was beautiful. I just looked at it. It was this little ecosystem and there was some fish and uh, seaweed. and It was just a beautiful little rock pool, a whole world in itself. And then I lifted my eyes up, and there were hundreds of rock pools. You know, sometimes we think our rock pool is the whole world. It may be our whole world, but it's not the whole world. There were actually hundreds of rock pools. And then what was really scary is I lifted my eyes to the horizon, and there was the ocean. You know, we're all in a rock pool somewhere, and we thank God for our rock pools, but our rock pool is not the entire ocean. We need a humility that realizes the Great Commission is too big for any one church or any one ministry to fulfill. We need all the churches and all the ministries working together in unity. You know, this weekend around the world, there are many churches meeting. There are small churches, medium-sized. There are churches of tens of thousands of people. There are churches meeting in homes, churches meeting in gymnasiums and pubs and stadiums, all different kinds of buildings. There are churches that are formal, where uh, there's uh, robes and uh, everything's very, very uh, formal. There are churches that are very informal. There are churches that sing traditional music with pipe organs and choirs in robes. And then there are churches with bands screeching out with screaming guitars and pounding drums and flashing lights and holy smoke. <laughs> there are churches that are totally organized. Every second is planned on the run sheet. There are other churches where nothing's planned. No one knows what's going to happen. Even the pastor doesn't know. <laughs> and you kind of go, which is the right expression of church? Ours, of course. No, the truth is it takes all different churches to reach all different people. And if we're going to see unity, we need the humility to realize we're just a part of what God's doing. We don't have all the answers. We're not the church. We're not the only church. We're a part of all God is doing. Everyone said amen. 
And we can learn from other churches. We can learn. You know, I did my Master's of Arts and Theology at an Anglican college, Ridley, and I learned so much. I did my Doctor of Ministry at a, at, at a, a fuller seminary, and I have been enriched by Salvation Army people, and Anglican and Baptists and Catholics and Pentecostals. We can learn so much from the broader body of Christ if we have an open heart and an open spirit. Everyone said amen. So we're going to see Jesus' prayer answer. We've got to be humble, not proud. Number two, we need to be inclusive, not exclusive. God wants you and I to have arms that are open wide rather than excluding people. We need to look for common ground rather than focusing on our differences. Jesus wants us to build bridges, not walls. He wants us connected, not isolated. The world will know we are Christians not by the cross around our neck or the activities we engage in, but by our love for one another. That means we've got to be inclusive, not exclusive. You know, in the Old Testament, there was one nation of Israel, but there were 12 tribes, and every tribe had some households and some families. And I kind of see the church like that today. We've got many denominations, many tribes, many different expressions, but we are all part of the one church of Jesus Christ. And so we want to avoid prejudice. We want to avoid the kind of uh, stereotypes that develop just on gossip and hearsay rather than personal experience. You know, there's some great churches and ministries out there, but you may have never experienced them. And it's easy just to hear a, a common thing. Oh, well, they're a bit like that. You know, we, we have the same. I, I met a, a woman through some uh, work we're doing outside the church a few years ago and found out that she used to go to church as a teenager. But she hadn't been for 20 years. I said, why don't you come visit City Life sometime? Uh, and she said, oh, look, I don't know. I had, had a pretty bad experience. So come along. So uh, she came along and I saw her after the meeting. And I, I said, how did you enjoy City Life? She goes, oh, it wasn't very Pentecostal. I'm thinking, I preached, so I'm thinking, you know, man, didn't I pray enough? Was the Holy Spirit not at work? And so I didn't assume. I said, oh, what do you mean? She says, well, it wasn't emotionally manipulative. I said, you know what? I'm really glad we're not very Pentecostal. <laughs> See, in her mind, Pentecostal meant emotionally manipulative. That was her stereotype. When she came here, she found out it was actually very, very different. I've talked to other people that heard about City Life and didn't come for years. You know why? It's one of those mega churches where they're so big, they're not friendly at all. No. That's a stereotype. That's a stereotype. And yet they eventually came and they said, it was so friendly. See, the size of the church doesn't determine the friendliness of the church. I went to a church once of 20 people and no one talked to me. And it's not as if I hide in a crowd. Now, just like people have stereotypes about us that actually are wrong, you know what? We also have stereotypes about other groups and people that, you know what? They'd probably change if you actually met one of those people, if you actually visited, if you actually were a little bit more inclusive rather than exclusive. There's a little, uh, little story in Mark chapter... Um, whoa, where is that one? I think that's on my next point. We'll get to that in a moment. So... Number one, be humble, not proud. Number two, be inclusive, not exclusive. Yeah, I will read that little story. Mark 9, 38 to 40. As, this is Jesus' disciples. You've got to love them. Uh, they said this, Jesus, we saw someone who is not one of us casting out demons in your name. Should we tell them to stop? 
Don't you, don't you just love the disciples? They kind of reveal our own hearts, don't they? You know, Jesus, we saw someone who was not one of us. Do you kind of pick a little exclusiveness up there? Not one of us casting out demons. You know, should we go t- tell them to stop? You know, that, that attitude easily pervades us where we kind of think we're the thing and, and it's not a kingdom way of thinking. Jesus rebuked them. He says, if they're not against us, they're actually for us. We need to be inclusive, not exclusive. Number three, a third step in being an answer to Jesus' prayer. Be humble, not proud. Be inclusive, not exclusive. Number three is to discern, don't judge. To discern, don't judge. Uh, Can I just say, and and this area has increased, I think, recently with internet and social media, it really saddens me. The amount of energy and time many Christians invest in, in throwing mud at other Christians, other groups, saying they're wrong or they're heretical or that's a false prophet, you know, it really grieves me. Now, now, now don't take me wrong. We are to contend for the faith. Once delivered to the saints, truth is really important. But you know what? So often these arguments are about minor less essential issues. You know, if we believe Jesus is Lord, uh, the creed, I believe in God, if we agree on the essentials, then let's have better attitudes around the things that aren't necessarily core to the Christian faith. You know, let me give you a little, this may surprise you, not everything you read on the internet is true. (laughs) Oh, did I just pop some bubbles? No, I've, if you've ever been quoted or misquoted by the media, you will understand this. Not everything you read or hear is true. And so we've got to be very careful. Jesus said we should discern. Uh, we should discern. And you know how we discern a ministry? By their fruit. What's the fruit of this ministry? Are people more in love with Jesus? Are people sharing the good news? Are people being, you know, look at the fruit of a ministry. We've got to discern, but we've got to avoid moving into God's role where we suddenly become the judge about who's in, who's out. Suddenly we move into an area that causes a lot of damage. And so, yes, discern, but don't judge. Christian love requires us to avoid a critical attitude that's quick to pull down people, point out flaws in other ministries, instead of judging, Jesus tells us to examine the fruit or the results of a person or ministry. Everyone said amen. Amen. I think Gamaliel, anyone heard of Gamaliel? Maybe you're looking for a baby name. Gamaliel's about to make a comeback. (laughs) Gamaliel in Acts 5, he was a Pharisee. And we often kind of knock the Pharisees. They were persecuting the early church. And you know what he said to the other Pharisees? He says, hey, Just leave it alone. If this is not of God, it's going to die out. But if this is of God, woe be to us for fighting against God. What What a great piece of wisdom. You look at something, a new move, a new church, a new thing. Hey, just give it some time. Give it some time. See what the fruit of it is. Don't just be looking to nitpick and criticize. We will never see Jesus' prayer answered if we move into judgment rather than discernment. Discernment's important. You know, my dad used to say this. We can be right in our doctrine and wrong in our attitude, and we are wrong. 
Truth is important. Don't mishear me. Truth is important, but our attitude is even more important. Knowledge tends to puff up in pride, while love always seeks to build up the body of Christ. Let's unite around Jesus as Lord, and let's discuss and let's debate and let's talk together with one another. But we'll never see unity unless we let go of the judgment. Let God be the judge of a person's heart in the end. And then number four is to love, don't hate. To love, don't hate. God has commanded us to love all people. You know we're supposed to even love our enemies? To just kind of think about that there. We're supposed to love our enemies. But you know, we're supposed to especially love the people of faith. Yeah. People who carry the name of Jesus. Love, don't hate. And so we should be praying, not just for our church, but for other churches. Uh, Peter McHugh, a good friend of mine, he leads Stairway. He said this, if the church across town is growing, my church is growing. What a great attitude. You know, we're not in competition with other churches in town. We actually should be cooperating with other churches in town. In Casey, Manningham, Whittlesea, North, we're not the only church. We need all churches involved serving together. You know, uh, when my boys were little, Josiah and Ashley, they, they used to fight occasionally. And you know, when they had been fighting, my first concern was not the issue. It was never, okay, what happened? My first concern was, stop fighting your brothers. Stop it. Now, who hit who? Who took what? The issues are always secondary for me as a father. Are you following me? And you know, sometimes I think God looks at the church, and if we could hear him, we'd say, stop fighting your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let's talk about the issues. Let's have a conversation around this. We are called to love, not to hate. Jesus said, by this all will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. You know, unity is unnatural. Just look at our world. It's divided. There's war. Conflict is natural. When you see unity in such a diverse group of people, that's something supernatural. And when people see unity across the church, when they see different age groups and different nationalities, when they see unity, it's so supernatural, they go, there must be a supernatural cause for what's happening here because it's not natural. Francis Schaeffer said this. Without true Christians loving one another, Christ says the world cannot be expected to listen to us, even when we give proper answers. Let us be careful to spend a lifetime studying to give good answers. For years, the Orthodox Evangelical Church has done this very poorly. So it is good to spend time learning the answers to the questions of people. But after we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, may we never forget that the final apologetic Jesus gives is the observable love of Christians for Christians. What a powerful statement. Francis Schaeffer, last century, writing about the church. The final apologetic, the final witness, the final defense that our gospel is true is the way we treat each other. Yeah, it's our love for one another, for all people that carry the name of Christ. And so how do we, how do we help see this prayer for unity become a reality? Be humble, not proud. We're not the only church. Be inclusive, not exclusive. Learn from other people that may worship a little different than you, may read a different version of the Bible. Discern, yes, discern fruit, but, but, but don't judge. And finally, love, don't hate. You know, in many ways, uh, Christians are like God's sheep. 
and all around the world, there's millions and millions of God's sheep. And in many ways, each local church is like a sheepfold where sheep gather. And leaders are supposed to be shepherds who care for and serve God's sheep. Uh, from time to time, God moves sheep from different sheepfold to another one. Maybe it's a relocation or a job transfer. Uh, you know, my, sometimes maybe sheep aren't getting fed or cared for. Again, my dad used to say, we don't steal sheep, we just grow grass. And so sometimes sheep do move around. They're all God's sheep. As leaders, our job is to care and to feed. Uh, but, but it's important that we actually realize that, you, you know, moving from one church to another, one of the biggest problems, I talk a lot to pastors, is, is called church hopping. It's a major problem in our world today. We live in a world of consumerism. And it's, I'll try this restaurant, and if oh, I didn't like that meal today, I'll be up the restaurant up the street. And so there's actually a lot of switching, a lot of church hopping that happens. And I, I think it's, it's really important that we, we actually work against that trend, you know? Uh, there are times when it's appropriate maybe to leave this fold to another. Um, we're actually taking a sheep from Crossway and bringing them here to city life. <laughs> we didn't steal the sheep. We, we had conversations. Dale is still my friend up there. And so, so there are times when God actually will have you leave one church to go to another. Maybe you live a long ways away and it's just hard to really get involved in that community. Uh, maybe there's a lack of integrity in the leadership or maybe there's abuse going on in the leadership. There are reasons to move on from one church to another. Again, we want to do that with the right spirit. But there are reasons not to leave a church. Uh, you, you shouldn't leave a church if someone hurt your feelings. If someone hasn't hurt your feelings here yet, it's because you haven't been here long. <laughs> it happens. And if you go to another church, I got a prophecy for you, it'll happen there too. <laughs> You know, uh, churches aren't perfect. You know, you know, stuff happens. Don't leave a church because it's changing. Guess what? The church needs to change. If you go to another church, uh, unless they're going to die, they're going to need to change also. Uh, don't leave a church because you're not getting fed necessarily. As we've said, it doesn't matter how delicious and nutritious this sermon is, it's not going to get you through to next Sunday. You need to be a self-feeder. There's lots of ways to feed you. And don't leave a church just because the leader's changing. <laughs> Some of you wondered, where's Mark going with this? Like, this is kind of a little add-on here, you know? You don't leave a church just because the leader's changing. Now, uh, you know, when it transferred from my dad to myself, there was a few people that felt to make a change, and, and, and that's okay, but we don't leave a church just because there's a change of leadership. We're, we're here because of God's call for us to be a part of this local church and family. And, and when you do, if you do leave a church, how you leave is really important to communicate about that, to talk to the leaders, to have a good open conversation, to be gracious, to transition well, because we're all part of the one body of Christ. Psalms 92 says, those who are planted in God's house will flourish and be fruitful. And so we really want to see people in every local church across Melbourne planted in that local church. We appreciate all the other churches, but planted. We found here at City Life, one of the great ways to be planted is, is through being connected. And uh, here we, we often say one of the best ways to connect is through getting in a small group, which we call life groups, or getting on a serving team. 
We've discovered, because we have people come to our church, come to faith in our church, or transfer to City Life. We also have people that transfer out. We've discovered that 90% or so of people who move on from City Life aren't connected. They're not in a life group, they're not serving. And so that's why connecting is so important. It helps you grow, but it actually moves you from going, I go to that church, to saying, that's my church. That's my church. When you're connected, when you're serving, there's a sense of ownership, and it's just healthy for everybody. And so I want to remind you of that today. Let me quote a really good book, Transforming Your Church by Mark Connor. I thought it'd be okay to quote myself tonight. God is building his church, and his church is an extension of the kingdom of God in every locality. It is not one particular denomination or nationalistic group. It is his people out of every nation and cultural background. There are all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of different people. As the true church of Jesus Christ turns from competitiveness to cooperation, we will see the task of reaching our cities accomplished more quickly. A kingdom mentality sees the church in the world as a body comprised of many local churches all working together for God's purposes. It is a day of partnership and networking based on relationship, not the particular label or specific a specific church or ministry may have. You know, in my last two decades of leadership here, one of my joys is to, see, to have seen the growing unity in the church. Um, the pastor's dinners we've had in our homes, the other pastors we've visited with. Uh, I, I, the very first year I became senior minister, Stuart Robinson, Crossway Baptist, Alan Meyer, Churches of Christ, Peter McHugh, a C3 church, called me and said, how, how about we go away and, and just have a couple of days together? And you know, we did that for many, many years. And now Rob Buckingham from Bayside and Dale Stevens is in that group. You know, we're all from different labels as far as denomination, but we have journeyed as friends. We have prayed for one another. We have cried together. And I just can't tell you what a joy. This is rare. You just go back a couple of generations of churches writing tracks against one another, talking against one another. We are seeing an emerging unity in our time that I think touches the heart of God because this is Jesus's prayer. And so there, are conferences and seminars today where we can learn from one another. There are missions initiatives. There are days of worship and prayer together. And this is really, really exciting. You know, we've got an event coming up next Sunday, and it's called Church Unite. And uh, this is the third year this has occurred. There's a a brochure available uh, for all of you here today with a bit more information. What is Church Unite? It is churches from all over Melbourne, small, large, different denominational labels that are gathering under one commonality. We believe Jesus is Lord. There's a four o'clock and there's a seven o'clock. There's stuff for the kids in the four o'clock. Tim Costello be there. Melinda Dwight from Alpha. Ian Smith from the Victorian Council of Churches, the Church Unite Band. It's going to be great hangout zones. But but, but what's it all about? It's really an opportunity for us to kind of get out of our rock pool, as it were, and to gather together with people who believe in Jesus from right across our city to pray together to worship together and to lift up the name of Jesus. And so I really want to encourage you. You know, here at City Life, we normally say, come to one weekend meeting, get in a life group and serve somewhere. Next year, uh, next week, I'm going to ask you to, to double dip. 
Let's do a double header next weekend. I want to ask every City Life person, go to your regular City Life service, but do a second gathering next weekend. Come along to one of our church. You know, say two's a lot. Hey, I'm doing six next weekend. Just let, I'll be in six services. I, I'm going to be very holy next weekend. Four here at City Life, two down there. But could you just do one extra gathering? Hey, why not go a little early? Take your life group, take your family. Some of you suburbanites need to get right into the city of Melbourne. It's the world's most livable city, support the local cafes, have a barbecue on the Yarra. And, and, and I'll tell you what, just come into an environment where you'll see salvos and, and charismatic Catholics speaking in tongues. It, it's just a joy to go, wow, the church is much bigger than my little rock pool. And so I want to encourage you. I, I know we're all busy people, but next week, Make a commitment, not just to come to City Life, get along to one of these prayer events. I think something powerful happens when we will unite together and be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer that his followers would be one. And so grab that brochure. It's free. You can register online just to help us uh, handle the numbers, etc. So do that. But I'd love to see you there next weekend. In conclusion, it's a new day. God is breaking down walls. He's bringing his church, the body of Jesus, together as a mighty force in the earth. Let me listen to, this, listen to this statement. It will take the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world to complete the Great Commission. I'll say that again. It's going to take the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world to complete the Great Commission. The last prayer of Jesus, that we would all be one as he and the Father of one, I believe is one prayer that will be answered. Maybe we could see that happen even in our time. And so what about you today? What's, what's your next step? Is there, is there an attitude shift that God's calling you today to make? Maybe you know someone from another church. Is there just an attitude shift that God's calling you to make today? Is there a personal conflict that maybe needs resolving? Maybe you left another church and it didn't go really well. Is there a phone call you could make? Just say, hey, can we talk about that? Let's, yeah, things didn't go too well. Is there a response for you personally today to be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer? And then, of course, I want to encourage all of us to be a part of Church Unite next Sunday, 4 o'clock or 7 o'clock, as we gather as a demonstration, a visible demonstration of unity in the church. Everyone said amen. amen. Jesus, thank you for this amazing prayer. It's actually a high priestly prayer. You prayed for yourself, but you prayed for mainly others, for your disciples, that they would make it through some pretty tough times. And then you looked down the corridors of time and you prayed for your church. And you prayed that we would be one. We'll probably never sing the same. We'll probably never do church the same. We might believe every little aspect of doctrine the same, but we can unite around our acknowledgement that Jesus, you are the Lord and the Savior of of the world. And so I pray today that we will be humble, not proud. We would be inclusive, not exclusive. We will discern, but we won't judge. And we will love. We'll be known by our love, not the poor treatment we show other people. And so I pray today, Lord, for unity. We pray for every church this weekend that's meeting across our great city. Lord, whatever the label may be across the door, if they're lifting Jesus up, Lord, would you bless your church 
across Melbourne this weekend. And as we gather for church tonight, I pray for something supernatural to happen. As we get together, something would happen in the heavenlies. You actually said, Psalms 133, that when we dwell in unity, you command a blessing. And so we pray for a blessing on our city as we gather together as one, lifting up the name of Jesus. We ask that today, not for our glory, but for your glory in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Come on, everyone together. Let's give Jesus a big shout, a big shout of praise today. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.
Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.